Welcome everyone to another episode of the Why Not Us podcast, college basketball edition. We actually have some games to talk about that are in the books. Super exciting. My name's Adam Glick. I'm joined as always by my co-host Josh Spate. Josh, how are you doing on this Thursday evening as college hoops is officially underway? We're in week one of the new season. Doing pretty well considering exactly what you just said, that we're underway with week one. Tuesday, of course, was fantastic. Over 180 games. Some of them pretty absurd. A lot of really, really good, a lot of really good basketball action. Glad to have it back, and excited to break it down with you today. Yeah, Tuesday really one of those days. That's you know, it happens once a year, never going to happen again. With the amount of games that were played, obviously there were a lot of cupcake games for a lot of easy teams, and they showed that. But let's get into some of the games that, you know, really stood out. And obviously, we have to start with the Champions Classic in Madison Square Garden. This was the first time it was there in Madison Square Garden with a full fans of the Championship Classic. And it was spectacular. Kansas versus Michigan State in the opener. And then you had Duke versus Kentucky to close it out. Obviously, they put the Duke in the nightcap because that I watched that game the second half. The fan atmosphere was fantastic. A Madison Square Garden game is basically a Duke home game and they showed it on Tuesday night. But first let me talk. I want to get your opinions, Josh, on of the two games, Kansas wins, I think 87, 73 against Michigan state. And then Duke wins against Kentucky pretty handily. Kentucky didn't make a run at the end of the game, but Duke won by a score of 79, 71. Who were you more impressed with Duke or Kansas on Tuesday? Honestly, I'm going to go with Duke. I know that I was pretty high on them going into that game. And they definitely lived up to the expectation. Paolo Bancaro is honestly insane. He went 7-11 in this game. He was not able to make a three, but if he hadn't taken a three, he would have been seven of eight. He was dealing with some lingering pains kind of coming on and off. But every time he was out there, he was making a huge presence. And between him and his fellow freshman, Trevor Keels, who I don't think any of us really saw popping off as the number two or maybe even number one scoring threat on this offense, They have two incredible freshmen on this team. Wendell Moore looked like a great player out there with them. And just in general, I really liked a lot of what they had on the offensive side of the ball. Kentucky, obviously, is a really, really hodgepodge team. We talked about all the different transfers they have this year. Oscar Shibwe, oh my God, this guy on the glass was a monster. But you know what? Even if he has 19 rebounds, I believe 12 of which were offensive, Duke was not scared. They kept on going inside. They would at least beat him scoring-wise, even if he was going to get those rebounds. And they just look like a team that can beat you from anywhere. I would like to see them shoot the three ball a little bit better. They went 1 of 13 in this game. And as we know, to be really good in the NCAA tournament, you got to do two things. Hit threes and play defense. So I think that part of the game will definitely grow. But I really liked a lot of what I saw with this team. And I'm going to say it again, and it'll probably be the second of 100 times that I say it this year. It's Coach K's last year. This team is going to play off the charts. You know they have to. Yeah, I agree with you. Duke really impressed me. I expected them to win. The spread was around one, and then it got to around three, I think, by tip-off. But as you mentioned, Keels really performed exceptionally well. On the Kentucky side, though, I have a lot of questions. You talked about the amount of transfers. I think Severe Wheeler from Georgia and Oscar Shashibwe from West Virginia are going to be huge helps. But again, Kentucky, their freshman turnout was not good. Ty Ty Washington, only one in the starting lineup as a freshman. And I don't know if they have enough 
bench presence to actually be a real threat in the SEC conference. I know it's only the first game of the year, but I have a lot of questions about Kentucky. Going Don't sleep on Jacob Toppin. Yes, Jacob Toppin from, I think, Rhode Island uh, transfer. And But anyway... The team, I'm, since you talk about Duke, I'm going to talk about Kansas. I don't like Kansas, but they really impressed me on Tuesday. They were obviously playing without Jalen Wilson, who got a DUI and was suspended for this game, but they scored 87 points on Michigan State. No problem. This game was basically over once the second half started. It was close a little bit at halftime, but they pulled away. Kansas shot the ball extremely well, and already we're seeing Remy Martin make a huge impact for Kansas. He had 15 points and shot five and nine from the floor. And then Oshi Abaji, the senior guard, he's going to be the leader on this team. And he shined. He had 29 points on nine of 17 shooting. He was perfect from the free throw line. This Kansas team, I think, has the talent to go all the way this year. And I I love David McCormick. Obviously, he needs to be more involved on the boards. He only had two rebounds. But Kansas really impressed me. I think Duke and Kansas right now are clear, in my mind, two of the best five teams in the country. At, or I know it's early, but that's my takeaway. But Josh, I want to ask you now of Kentucky and Michigan state who both lost, which team are you more concerned of moving forward? So if you phrase that question with concern, then I'll say Kentucky, because I do think their depth will pose a bit of a problem. I know I mentioned Jacob Toppins mostly just because of his brother, Obi Toppin, as we saw him win player of the year at, at Dayton a number of years ago, he's not the same guy. And you know, you talk about their freshman, Ty Ty Washington, but we know that this team is going to be all about leadership and older guys and transfers like Kellen Grady, who are going to have to step up for this team. And frankly, it's a lot harder to bring a bunch of older guys who have been leaders on their own respective programs into one team, especially led by John Calipari, who's one of those specialty coaches of bringing a lot of freshmen in having to meet a platoon system like he did that undefeated year and just working with those pieces. It's going to be really interesting to see how he's going to incorporate all these different guys into his game plans. Michigan state obviously was the only team of the four that was unranked. I know everybody's like, Oh, but they're number 26. I think that they deserve to be a ranked team. They really stayed in it with Kansas for much of the game and kind of fell apart defensively down the stretch. Ochai Agbaji just kept shooting over them. But I do like a lot of the guys on this team. And I mentioned that I thought that they actually had a chance of winning this game. And for a while, they kept it close, as I mentioned. I think if they keep on going to Gabe Brown, who seems like a capable senior, and of course, Joey Hauser, they're going to get good production. And I do like this guy off the bench as well, Julius Marble. He had 13 and 7 definitely stepping up when they need him. And not to mention A.J. Hoggard off the bench as well with 17 points. Like, they have the depth. They have a good amount of pieces that, you know, they could make a difference. Do I think that Michigan State will wind up being a better team than any of the other three teams you mentioned? Probably not. I think they could maybe a six or a seven seed coming out of a pretty packed Big Ten conference. But talking about concern, I do think the expectations for Kentucky are significantly higher than they are for Michigan State, and there's a higher percent chance that they will fall below those expectations. Yeah, you couldn't have said it any better. I, th- I agree with those predictions. I think Kentucky, obviously, I, th- I don't think they're going to live up to expectations. It's really high. You talked about the depth situation. I think that's going to be a problem all year. And their transfers, while they're super talented and they have experience, Calipari, as you talked about, has not really coached that at Kentucky. And I think that's going to be a major problem moving forward for Michigan State. They're really young. And on it, honestly, Gabe Brown and Joey Hauser, I think, are going to be the key pieces as the senior leaders on this team if this team wants to go where they want to go. And I think 
the ceiling for them is probably Sweet 16. They're just not as talented as these three other teams that we mentioned in Kansas, Kentucky, and Duke to really make a Elite Eight Final Four push in my eyes. And you talked about the crowd of Big Ten. That's going to put a lot of dampers on their season. It's going to wave a lot of energy throughout Big Ten play. But I, I think Michigan State will get better. They're well coached, obviously, and we'll see where they go. They have a decently easy non-conference schedule, so I think they'll start winning some games down the stretch. Moving on to our next topic of choice here on this Thursday evening, we talk about the top 25 and obviously a lot of these top 25 teams, other than the teams that played in champions classic, played pretty much cupcake teams across the board, as you would expect on opening night. But Josh, let me ask you this, which top 25 team impressed you the most on Tuesday? I'm going to go with the Alabama Crimson Tide, who I'm guessing you wanted to talk about, but you know what I'm going to steal it from you. Yeah. Both you and I were high on Alabama in general going into this year. 11.5-point favorite we both hammered as well. I just thought that this Louisiana Tech team was good, but they weren't worthy of that close of a spread. Obviously, we mentioned having Kenny Lofton Jr., the freshman, definitely a touted player. But, you know, if you're an Alabama team with the experience that they've got, obviously an incredible coach in Nate Oates, and bringing back guys like Jaden Shackelford, like – Javon Quinterly, who proved that they can be great leaders on this team, as well as Keon Ellis. I mean, they've got so many different guys they can go to here and a deep bench as well. This was the kind of game where if you can only underperform, which is what all these buy games, B-U-Y, are like, you don't want to do that. And I think especially against an L.A. Tech team, you know, take care of business. La Tech will probably be a lot better down the stretch of the year as they continue to develop. But this team can really score. They score a lot of points a lot of the time, and they did that again this game. They had 93. I know we've mentioned a bit of Alabama's upcoming schedule. They have a stretch against Gonzaga, Houston, and Memphis consecutively. That's going to be really tough before they open SEC play, and that's going to be the question where we see if this team is just as good as they were last year, and they were very good last year. Yeah, and – I agree with that opinion. I think Alabama is going to be the top team in the SEC, and I, were, I was going to pick them in the segment. But, of course, as you know, the so-and-so host, I can't go first. So I'll let you have Alabama for this one. My team is going back and forth between us, but I'm going to go with my Bonnies of St. Bonaventure. They got off to a very slow start in the first half, only up four at halftime, but they really showed out in the second half. They held a Sienna team that's probably the favorites in their conference in the mock to 15 points in the second half. They won this game 75 to 47. And obviously their four starters, four of their five starters scored in double figures. You had Jaron Holmes, who had 17. You had Kyle Lofton, who I think is their best player. He also had 17. And then you had Dominic Welch, who had 11. They're all seniors. And then, oh oh yeah, Osan Ozuni didn't have a great game, but nine points on six rebounds, four, six shooting, very effective. And then Abdul Kareem, Kulabi, if I pronounce his name correctly, he's going to be a key piece because last year, Bonnie's only really played five players. He is their sixth man on this team. They are probably going to only play six to seven guys a game that gets significant minutes. This team is led by defense. So when they're not shooting well, they're going to have to play exceptional on defense. And they show that in the second half. We're going to see a lot from this team, I think, next week when they go and play Boise. I think it's a tournament in South Carolina. I think the Charleston Classic. So we'll see a lot from this team going forward next week. But I was really impressed with the second half performance from the Bonnies. Now, Josh, we got to talk about our Texas Longhorns. And they played 
probably one of the worst teams in the country. I was there in person, and I can confirm that they are probably one of the worst teams in the country. But they did what they were supposed to. They murdered Houston Baptist, and obviously Chris Beard's team emphasizes defense, and they showed defense, especially in that second half. They really came alive. They won this game by a score of 92 to 48. Houston Baptist really struggled shooting the ball from the field and from the free throw line, 10 to 22 from the line. Texas got off to a little slow start, but then they got going. Really nice to see Courtney Ramey have a good game, 14 points. Andrew Jones, 11. Marcus Carr, 10. Christian Bishop, 10. It's really balanced scoring effort from the Longhorns on Tuesday night. What did you see from this Texas team, and what can you see moving forward from the Longhorns? I saw this team put 12 guys on the court, and I understand yeah. that when you're beating Houston Baptist by 40-plus, you're going to bring in a Tristan Lichen, who I believe is a walk-on, and we love to see him hit a couple of threes here and cover the spread. But they played 12 guys, and I figure I should probably know every single one of their names because all of them looked good. Talk about a team performance. Not only did this team have 20 assists, which is pretty good, Nobody on this team shot the ball more than seven times. And the three guys that did, Marcus Carr, Andrew Jones, and Courtney Ramey, I want shooting the ball seven times. Each of them shot over 50% from the field, including some ridiculous numbers from three between Andrew Jones and Courtney Ramey combined going seven of 11 from three-point range. And then you got the big men transfers, Timmy Allen and Christian Bishop. Neither of them missed a shot. And they're playing great inside. It's just, it seems like, the main question we had, and it, it's going to come to life during the rest of the season, and I know we'll talk about Gonzaga, is whether or not Chris Beard can put all of these pieces he has to work and understand how they work with one another. And it seemed like we had a different lineup out there with different combinations of guys on different sets of plays. And you only have two of those 12 guys, one of which being Brock Cunningham, and he doesn't even have to score, not scoring. Everybody else gets on the board. You had – Five, six guys in double digits getting Trey Mitchell and the freshman that nobody's talking about, Jalen Tyson, also into double figures. He went five and five in this game. I mean, yes, it's a cupcake game against Houston Baptist, but this is exactly what we were looking for. A great team effort where everybody's touching the ball. Everybody's getting each other involved. They made some turnovers kind of to start out the gate, which is why it was a little closer. But once they got it together, they were taking good shots, taking nice long possessions and finding the open man. If they do that all year, they're going to be really tough to beat. Yeah, you said it. I mean, depth is the thing that rings the bell when I think of this Texas Longhorns team. They play a 10, 11, even 12 deep. How many teams in the country can say that? Oh, and all the, yeah, all these teams, I mean, all these players are getting significant minutes most likely throughout the season. They all put up pretty respectable numbers. No one's going off. And when you play this many players, you don't even need everyone to be on every night because you have so many guys that you can go to. And that's why I think this team's going to be really successful. And unlike past Texas teams, this Texas Longhorn team can shoot the ball. They've really struggled in the past from especially three-point range and the free-throw line. Free-throw line can get better, but I think it will. The three-point shooting, though, of this team, this is how they're going to win games because we'll get into it. They're, they're not the deepest team when it comes to rebounding and height. That's going to be their one area of concern that we'll get into with the Gonzaga game. But they can outshoot teams because Marcus Carr, Andrew Jones, Courtney Ramey, all really good threats from three. Also, Febris off the bench. I love what I saw from Pike, Jalen Tyson, the freshman, five of five from the floor with 11 points. 
And yeah, they also have Trey Mitchell with 10. They just have so many guys that you can go to. I'm really excited, but they also have Dylan DeSue. They don't even even have, yeah. Who's probably their best big man, which they need on the floor. It's insane. Like I I understand once again, I want to reiterate it's Houston Baptist, Yeah, but there are a lot of guys on this team that can do something. 100%. And with that, yeah. And with that, we have to talk about this game Saturday, which is already living up to be one of the best games that we have on the college basketball season in week one. It's Texas versus Gonzaga. It's a top five matchup in the kennel, which is an impossible place to play up in Spokane. Texas is going to have their work cut out for them. Gonzaga didn't look the best on Tuesday night against Dixie State. They didn't cover the 40-point spread, but they did drop 97. Chet Holmgren you know, had a very good game to start his career, 14 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists, and he also had 7 blocks, which could be going up in this game, in my opinion. We'll see. And oh they, Yeah, Rasir Bolton came out of nowhere for this Gonzaga team on Tuesday night. He had 15. He's a senior, didn't really play last year. Also, Julian Strawworth or Strother, the sophomore, didn't get significant minutes last year because his team was stacked and he was a freshman, had 17 and 10. This team is really deep. And also, they have the preseason All American in Drew Timmy. So we know Gonzaga is number one in the country. What does Texas have to do on Saturday, Josh, to have a chance in this game? Because they're probably going to be six to eight point underdogs, in my opinion, and they're playing in the Kennedy. Reds out. Oh, it is? What is it? Eight and a half. Eight and a half. Okay, so I was almost, yeah, six to eight. Yeah, yeah. that's that's a lot of points. I mean, I'm not going to say that Gonzaga is not an eight and a half point, especially at home, better team than Texas. I think they are. There's a lot that Texas has to do in this game. Yeah. A lot. And I, I'm not just going to leave it there, obviously. I mean, Drew Timmy is going to cause you tons of problems. We know that Chet Holmgren's the number one recruit in the country, and he can use his length from just about anywhere. He crossed up Steph Curry. Not sure if you saw this video. I think it was oh. in the last year or so. He was in a camp with Steph Curry, and his dribbling ability is at seven feet tall. He's so nimble. He can shoot yeah. the ball from three. He crossed up Steph, and then I think dunked or had a, a pretty layup or something in like a, a mini drill ridiculous like you're doing that to one of the best nba players in the country i don't care if he's six foot one like that's that scares me because i don't think there's anybody on our team that can probably stop him i mean the size i would guess you want to play to the fact that he's skinnier he's only 195 pounds oh my god geez that's he's a string bean so i mean maybe you want to body him inside but this texas team we've known them to be a huge big man school from shaka smart days and our big men are not as big this year. Christian Bishop, he's he's got some size. Timmy Allen definitely has some size, but he's no, you know, Jericho Sims to be a shot blocker inside. So it'll be really interesting to see how we play the front court like that. And then in the back court, I think we might have a slight advantage. I don't want to sleep at all on Andrew Nemhard. I think that he's a great player who obviously is getting a lot more minutes this year, as you mentioned, as well as Julian Strother. Those guys can definitely shoot, but I definitely think if, if we can play the big men, well, it's all about defense for me. Cause I think our offense is going to be here and there. Gonzaga's defense is not their strong suits. The fact that they can go out and score 90 points on anybody's head. We have to play good defense in this game. And I really think it's going to come down to those big men. Yeah, you you said said it perfectly. I think it's going to come down to the rebounding and the big men, especially. I think with Texas, you're going to have to shoot extremely well, like you did on Tuesday night, from the three point line because 
you're not going to get a lot of points inside, in my opinion. And Gonzaga is big. They're tall. They're scary. I don't want to go down there. And for me, stopping Chet Holmgren, let him shoot from outside. He went 0 for 2 from 3. I know he can shoot it, but you cannot let him get inside. He's too crafty with his dribbling moves, and he is too – he's like he's so hard to guard because he's, as you said, he's basically – He's the skinniest person I've ever seen for his height and skill level, but he's really talented. And then Gonzaga has so many other weapons that they can go to. I think this matchup is only going to help Texas down the road because it's one of those games you don't need to win. You're not expected to win. It's only going to help you in March, I think, in my opinion. So honestly, Texas has nothing to lose in this game, but I really want them to be competitive throughout. They don't have to win, but I want them to be competitive. I want to see how they do against a team that's a lot bigger than them in the rebounding category. But Marcus Carr, Courtney Ramey, Jace Fabris, Andrew Jones, they're all going to have to shoot really well from outside. I can't see Texas winning this game as of right now. If they played in March, maybe, but as of right now, I don't think. And this game is in Gonzaga. So with that, I will take Gonzaga. I don't really have a pick on the spread. Eight and a half is a lot of points. I think it's probably going to be in that range. Like it's going to be close. Like Texas might foul at the end. It might be in that range. We'll see. But I'm really looking forward to this game. It's obviously highlighting on my calendar on Saturday evening for sure. Any last thoughts about the game, Josh? I, I really think I agree with you. I know we talked about it just previewing the entire season as a whole. If you're one of these teams, Texas or anybody else, but especially Texas, because of the fact that the rest of the non-conference schedule is on the easier end, this is a great opportunity early in the season to get your guys to rally behind something. If they lose this game, it's a huge, huge moment to come together and say, hey, we just played a team that up until the national championship last year did not lose a game, and they might have gotten better in the offseason. Like, we have no idea. And Gonzaga has done a great job of stacking up their non-conference schedule so they're not just a quote-unquote mid-major, which I don't think anybody considers them to be anymore. It's a huge test for Texas. Go out there, run your game plans. Don't be scared to lose. It's all right if you do. Go out and beat the crap out of I think we play Northern Colorado and San Jose State next. Just take out your anger on them. Yeah, exactly. We'll see with this Texas team. The next real test after this game with Gonzaga is Seton Hall in Newark, New Jersey. I think in early December, the 9th, I believe is the exact date. But as you said, Texas is trying to build something. They're trying to get ready for conference play and March. So this game will tell us a lot, but not the whole story about this Texas team. But it's definitely going to be a very exciting game. And you and I, Josh, cannot wait to watch this game Saturday evening. I think it's ESPN or ESPN2 at 9.30 Central Time. So ESPN2, come on. ESPN2, it should be on ESPN. What's on opinion. ESPN on Saturday night, an NBA game? I don't know. Ridiculous. NBA, what a sport. Uh, anyway, <laughs> as, we, as we move on to a new segment that we're bringing this year, and it brought us some, it brought me especially some really good enjoyment on Tuesday. We had 10 brutality watches on Tuesday on opening night. Just a reminder, as I'm going to probably do throughout this season on this show, brutality is when a school pays another school to come play them, usually a bad mid-major playing a high power five school to play them because they get money and the power five is trying to build their program and get some easy games under them at the start of the season. So, Josh, we had 10 teams, not all of them were power fives, but most of them were, that lost to these teams that were paid to come here. Who got the 
best win and who got the worst loss on the brutality watch on Tuesday. All right. They didn't lose, but I just have to note for the sake of my home team. Okay. The Ohio State Buckeyes basically <sighs> lost to the Akron yeah. Tiff. Oh my lord. This game was pretty close throughout. Akron was hanging in there for sure. I wouldn't say that they're one of the top, top teams in the MAC, but they're definitely up there. This was a game that Ohio State should have won by a lot. And I won't fully go into it, but for anybody who didn't see it, Akron hit a miraculous three and the foul, a four-point play with mere seconds left on the clock to go up by one, 66 to 65. And then Ohio State drew up a six out of 10 inbounds play to get Zed Key the ball inside and Akron just fell asleep and let him score and said, you know what? You paid us to be here. You might as well have your win while you're at it. But let's talk about a team that really, really should have won and didn't. The first one of the day, the Cal Berkeley Bears at home against the brand new, actually it's been one season, but this is year two in their D2 to D1 transition, UC San Diego Tritons. Oh my God. This team barely played any games last year because of COVID. Obviously, Cal lost their best player, Matt Bradley, to San Diego State, the other and only really major school in the city of San Diego, as you're aware. And my Lord, this this was just not good. We were both monitoring this game. It was close at the half, and San Diego just came out shooting hot in the second half. I know you've got a friend in Bryce Pope who really just started banging away threes. They've got this guy, Tony Rokak, if that's how you pronounce his name, probably not. 27 points, eight rebounds, was just bodying them inside, and they had no answers. And it just got away from them, and we, we just kept on waiting for Cal to have something, but... That was that. And they went to Berkeley and they won by 13. And just when you thought that their football program was bad, yeah. the basketball program is probably worse. I think that Cal is like the Vanderbilt of sports of the Pac-12. Yeah, I would agree, honestly. And I think brutality could be hitting Cal a couple more times when we're all said and done here throughout this season. And it's going to hit some other Pac-12 programs as we saw on Tuesday night. So you talk about UCSD in there when I was probably going to pick them as the biggest win on Tuesday, just because they're new to D1 basically, and that they've never been a power five program in their history. But since you mentioned that game, I won't pick it. I'll pick a conference for best win. The Mac showed out on Tuesday night, really impressive. They picked up two, I believe, brutality wins against power five programs in the, in Miami, Ohio, going to Georgia tech and winning great game. They came back at the end, 72, 69, and then, Northern Illinois going to Washington, another Pac-12 school, winning 71-64, and they were really were winning the entire game. That was never even in doubt in that game. And then you talked about Akron was basically right there, lost at the last second on the key layup. And Eastern Michigan, very good game as well. They came back against Indiana, cut the one down the stretch, lost by two possessions. And then the biggest win that I don't want to spoil it, so I won't spoil it. But another MAC team had a big win in mid-major standards, which will be our next segment. But the worst loss, and I think this is without a doubt, no question in my mind, is Virginia losing to Navy. Credit Navy. They do everything for our country. They fight hard <laughs> to keep us safe at home. Happy and Veterans abroad. Day. Yes, happy Veterans Day. They keep us safe 
at home and abroad. And guess what? They can also shoot the basketball. They were knocking down three pointers left and right in that first half. They dropped 40 plus on a Virginia defense in the first half. How often do you see that? I know Virginia's Never. had their stroke. Yeah. I know they've had their struggles the last couple of years, especially with some of these mid-major programs, but at least these teams don't score on Virginia. It's just Virginia can't score. But on Tuesday night, Navy was scoring. They got some big shots down the stretch. And let's remember about this Navy team. They returned four of their five starters last year from a team that only lost one or two games in the conference season. They only played conference games because of COVID. This team is really good. I think they're my favorites to win in the Patriot League this year over Colgate. And they can really shoot the ball. My favorite player is John Carter Jr. He had 19 points, shot five of eight from downtown. I think this Navy team is good. On the other side, Virginia, they have a lot of problems. If my, our good friend Mason was telling us, if they were not named Virginia, they probably wouldn't even been close to the AP rankings coming into the season. They have a lot of younger players. They lost a lot of talent last year as well. I just don't know if they have enough pieces on this team. Jaden Gardner, 18 points, 10 rebounds, probably the best performance. And then obviously they have their senior guard in Kihei Clark. But other than that, they don't have a lot of pieces. They don't really have good bench presence and depth on this team. They are a major concern for me moving forward. And then quick shout out. They almost won. Hofstra should have beat Houston on Tuesday night. And it was their Hofstra's first game at the new coach I forget his name but it was his first game should have got a win feel bad for that program but I digress we move on to the next yeah Josh do you have any more to say we gotta add one more okay Western Illinois the Leathernecks, yes, the Leathernecks. <laughs> what a win what a win they were down by four with 35 seconds left at Nebraska Nebraska yeah. decided that they did not want to make free throws down the stretch and they hit a couple threes, and you know what? That'll do it for you. I mean, God, I mean, this Nebraska team by no means is a good team in the Big Ten, but do you want to talk about some more absolute ridiculousness on Tuesday? Western Illinois, a bottom team, and I believe the Summit Conference, yes. They're the worst team in the Summit Conference. Yeah, but they went to Lincoln and beat the bottom team in a Power Five Conference. Yeah, that could come back to haunt Nebraska. Nebraska had tournament hopes coming into the season. They were a sleeper team, I think, in the Big Ten. That's going to hurt them in the Q4 department on that resume in the Ken Palm. Oh, you so. see who their, their coach is now? I didn't realize this. It's, uh, right. it's Fred Hoiberg. Yes, he's been there, I think, two or three years now. Since the Bulls fired him? Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's a tough way to start your season losing to – Western Illinois at home. Yeah, Nebraska, another sports program between basketball and football. They're dealing with some adversity right now. Yeah, you could say that. Let's move on to our mid-major love segment or shout out to mid-major programs. So I know we kind of just talked about it a little bit, but maybe some not brutality watches, but what mid-major, Josh, on Tuesday picked up the biggest win on opening night? You probably will steal mine, but let's see. No, you know what? I'm going to let you keep yours because i know okay. you'll probably have a lot more i'm gonna go back to brutality watch and roast my sister alana for the ridiculous game that the bottom of the acc pittsburgh panthers had against the citadel talk about more people on veterans day that we are very very glad to protect our country the citadel another military institution went to another top power five school in pittsburgh and just play offense. And that's what they do. I mean, the Citadel will drop like 100 points in a conference game and still lose because they can't play defense. 
Luckily for them, Pittsburgh couldn't score. They only had 63 points against the Citadel defense, which tells me you might only win about a dozen games this year. So good for them. I'm always excited to watch this team play, especially when it comes into those conference games, because you got over-unders in college of like 200 or 190, just like something of an NBA game, which is significantly longer. And I would love it if one of these days they made their way into the NCAA tournament with a team that just like could not stop scoring. So I'm hoping yeah. for that. Okay. I, I love that choice. I agree with you. The Citadel that I don't think they've ever been, at least in recent memory, a top pro or power five program. And they're usually towards the bottom of the SOCON conference, but credit them. Shout out to our veterans here on Veterans Day. Thank you for not stealing mine. I have to talk about it. It is one of my teams, so it is a little sore to my heart, but it happened <clears throat> not Ohio State, but in the same state in the Ohio Bobcats. They played Belmont, probably the biggest game on the mid-major slate on Tuesday. It could have big implications as we move forward, probably in a negative direction for the Belmont Bruins. I was very high on this Bruins team. They returned all five starters from last year's squad. They are one of those teams, few in the country, that has the most return depth. They honestly, on offense, there's no complaints that I have from the Belmont Bruins. Musinski had a really good game. Shepard played really well. But this team could not play defense. They could not stop the Bobcats. The Bobcats lost, obviously, their star NBA point guard. And I think his name's Jason Preston in last year's team that won an NCAA tournament game against Virginia. But they just, they showed out. They dropped 92 on this Belmont team. I, it begs me, the question is, can Belmont build now large resume after even game one because of this loss to the Bobcats in Ohio, Musinski had 18 and Shepard at 25. Those are their two best players. They're going to show out every game, but they need more help on the offensive side. No one else played well. Murphy needs to shoot better. Luke Smith needs to shoot better. They each had eight points respectively, but I want to give credit to this Ohio team. I'm looking at the box score here. Ben Vanderplas was a key member on that Ohio team that won last year in the NCAA tournament. He dropped 19. Jason Carter had 20. And, oh, yeah, Mark Sears had 27. This Ohio team can shoot the ball. Sears shot 10 of 11 from the floor. I think Ohio is a sleeper team in the MAC, and we talked. I talked about the MAC a few minutes ago. The MAC looked really good on Tuesday and could be a really fun conference as we move forward. Obviously, it's just the opening night and start of the season, but credit to the Bobcats for winning a big-time game against my Bruins. Josh, let's move on to the other game we're going to preview. Probably one of the biggest games of the year as well. It's a top four matchup. It is UCLA and Villanova in Poly Pavilion on Friday night. It's going to be a great game. Both those teams on Tuesday played the lower mid-major schools and absolutely throttled them. But the key thing that happened on Tuesday night late, I don't know if everyone was up for it, was Cody Riley went down with an injury and will not be playing Friday against Villanova per John Rothstein and McCronin per sources. So he is out, which is a huge loss, especially down low for UCLA in their backcourt. Josh, with that news, who do you like in this game between Villanova and UCLA? I'm going to be honest. Even before the Cody Riley injury, I was going to take Villanova here. And honestly, after watching them play, I know that both these teams had cupcake games. Their 40-point win against Mount St. Mary's during that wonderful Big East Fox Sports 1 special they had going on on Tuesday. This team 
has so many guys that are just such good players. Oh my God. I completely forgot that Jermaine Samuels came back. He is a ridiculously good player who's consistently a great defender as well. And of course, Connor Gillespie fully healthy. He didn't go off in that game by any means and was missing some shots, but at least great to see him back in form. But neither of those two guys who have been kind of the staples of this Nova team for the last couple of years were their main threat. Justin Moore, the junior, who's been getting some minutes the past couple of years, but really starting to break out 27 points on six of eight from three in that game. And if you can do that against this UCLA game and the UCLA team, who's got a pretty good defense, that's, that's going to be huge. And I think that this game has a pretty low over under of 138 and a half, which leads me to believe Vegas will think it's a low scoring game, but I could see these teams going for a lot of points. They have a lot of really, really good, high-powered offensive guys. I think UCLA's defense is probably a bit better. They definitely showcased that a lot in the NCAA tournament last year. It'll it'll be a close game for sure. UCLA is currently a four-and-a-half-point favorite, but I'm going to go with Nova just because of the great, great experience in their top three guys. Yeah, and you said I'm probably going to agree with you. I was probably going to take UCLA before the injury, but losing Cody Riley, UCLA is a really guard dependent team. They don't really have a lot of size on their team. Losing a guy like him is going to be a big problem. Obviously they're going to need Kenneth Nuba to step up a junior six foot 10. He was off the bench had four points, two rebounds against Bakersfield, but this UCLA team, it's, it's their four guys that they returned in their starting lineup that all showed out on Tuesday night in Jules Bernard, Tiger Campbell, Jaime Hawkes Jr. and obviously Johnny Juzang. They're going to all have to play exceptionally well. Juzang is going to have to stop Colin Gillespie. I think that I think they'll be on each other. I don't know for sure, but I think that would be an incredible matchup. Or Tiger Campbell would be on Gillespie. We'll see. But I'm really looking forward to the guards guard matchups in this game. I think both these teams play really good defensively. I know they can both shoot it from the outside, but they're more of a defensive-minded team. I just think Villanova is better at this moment of time and they have more size. I think Slater is going to be a big difference in this game. I think he's going to shine and Villanova is used to playing these kind of games. UCLA is not really used to playing these games, especially early in the season. And for that reason, I'm going to go with the Wildcats to pick up a big win on Friday night in Poly Pavilion. We move on. Yeah. Any last thoughts with, with this UCLA Villanova game? No, I'm glad we agree. Yeah. We don't agree too often, so it's nice to see that we agree here. We move on as we kind of wind down towards the end of the show here. We have a good slate of games happening this weekend in college hoops, especially in week one, which I'm very happily surprised about. Any games, Josh, that you're really looking at until probably our next show, you know, Thursday to today through Monday that you're really looking at this weekend that you're going to definitely keep your eye on? Yeah, unfortunately, there aren't a ton of major, major games. I could talk about and just want to briefly highlight a big game that's going on that probably not a lot of people have seen, but it'll be a close one for sure. 5.30 on Friday on ESPNU, the Asheville Championship between Western Kentucky and Minnesota. Definitely a game to monitor. I don't think either of those teams are as strong this year after losing each of their best players, but be a good game to watch. I do think we should talk about on Sunday, a pretty big game, which is between Florida and Florida state. That game will be at noon on ESPN. 
Florida State obviously coming off of a Sweet 16 trip. Seems like they're always in the mix. They've got Anthony Polite, who's a fantastic scorer. And always the story for this Florida State team is their defense. So that'll be a great thing to have. And just in general, an ACC-SEC clash like this, this early in the year, we love to see it, especially because a lot of teams are either playing high-profile games or just somebody they're going to absolutely thrash. So good for these in-state teams playing each other. This Florida team, I'm not super high on. They had an okay win against Elon in their opener, but they do have some good depth. They're led by a few guys in this team, namely their senior Colin Castleton. So it'll be a good way to see if this Florida State team is yet another top performer in the ACC. And then for Florida, whether or not they can compete with the likes of them. Yeah, and you mentioned Florida State. They actually play similar to Texas, 11, 12 different guys on the floor in that Penn game. Ton of size, ton of athleticism, as Leonard Hamilton's teams usually have. I think Florida State is going to win that game. I love that spread that it, it is. I, I think it's only two and a half right now, as yeah. you talked about. Yeah, I'm not high on Florida either. So I really like that spread, and I'm definitely going to watch that game on Sunday. My eyes, though, are on Friday night. I got two games in particular that I'm going to mention here. First is going to be a sneaky good game out in Eugene, Oregon, is Oregon and SMU. SMU, very good team. They're very, I think they're going to be finished towards the top of the American Athletic. They're going to compete for an NCAA tournament bid. I don't know if they'll get there, but they're a very good team. They bring back a lot of guys. Kendrick Davis is a guy that I keep your eye on in this game, and obviously Oregon is a top 15 team in my eyes, and in the AP pool. They look decently good against Texas Southern. Will Richardson, obviously the key player on this team, the senior, he showed out against that Texas Southern team with 20 points, and then they get the transfer from OU and Devion Harmon. I think he's a key piece for this Oregon Ducks team. I'm going to definitely keep my eye on this game. Spreads only six and a half for a reason, because SMU is sneaky good. I think this game is going to be really entertaining. It's sadly only on the Pac-12 network at 10 o'clock. So I don't know if I'm going to really be watching it, but I will try my best. And then, Josh, you know I'm from San Diego. So I'm a huge San Diego State fan, as a lot of viewers on the show know. They go to Mormon land on Friday night in Provo, Utah. San Diego State and BYU. San Diego State has a sneaky, hard non-conference schedule that starts on Friday. Right now, BYU is a three-point favorite. San Diego State plays Arizona State, BYU, Georgetown, probably USC, assuming they can beat Georgetown in a tournament in the Wooden Legacy. They also go to Ann Arbor, Michigan on the road to play them, and they play a very good St. Mary's team out of the West Coast Conference. But this BYU-San Diego State game, BYU – Returns a lot of their good, good players. They had a very impressive, low-key kind of win on Tuesday night against the favorites in the Horizon League in Cleveland State, 69-59. Alex Barcelo is the star point guard. Him and Matt Bradley is going to be the matchup of the century in this game. Matt Bradley is really San Diego State's go-to piece on the offensive end. They're led by defense. They had a decently okay win against Riverside on Tuesday, but I'm very excited for this game between my Aztecs and the BYU Cougars. Josh, any other thoughts about the slate that we have this weekend before we move on to our final segment of One Bold Prediction? I'm really focusing on this Texas-Gonzaga game, to be completely honest. Of course. But it's on Saturday, so you can watch my Aztecs and BYU on Friday. I'll try to. Yeah, you'll try to. I'll take that. So with that, we move on to our last segment of the show in our One Bold Prediction. Josh, what do you have for me? I mean... 
I could stay with the same avenue and pick the horns, but I don't think I'm going to do that. Okay. That would, that would probably send us in the wrong direction. Give me your bold prediction and I'll come up with mine. Okay. I was hoping you were going to do yours first as I was <laughs> trying to come up with one, but I will do one anyway. As I'm lo- looking through the slate. Okay. I got one. I got one. Okay. You go first. Yeah. Give me the Yale Bulldogs to go to Newark and beat the Seton Hall Pirates. This spread in this game, I don't think will be huge. Yale obviously coming off of a a year where they did not play. They're hungry. They get to beat the crap out of UMass on actually only a one-point favorite on Friday. So that'll be a good test for them. And this Seton Hall team, they looked good, but you know what? I'm just gonna run with it. And I'm gonna pick, I'm gonna pick the Ivy League school to have an early season victory at the Pirates. They will likely lose by 20, but I'm going to pick them anyways. My Portland Pilots did not beat the Arizona State Sun Devils, but they had some good scoring in that game, and uh, I still don't think Arizona State's that good of a team. But I'm going to Yale this week. Okay. one My one bold prediction, it is in the tournament that you talked about, the only tournament going on this weekend. It's the Asheville Championship Tournament in Asheville, South Carolina. And... South Carolina is in this tournament, but I'm not picking them to win. I'm picking the Princeton. I think their nickname's the Tigers, I believe. The Princeton Tigers to win this tournament. Am I picking them because one of my best friends from home is on this team? Maybe, but I think two they're going to pick two Ivies. Yeah, two Ivies. I mean, education, it can get you very far in life. Trust me. <laughs> I think Princeton is going, if they can beat South Carolina, I think they're going to win this tournament. I think South Carolina is the best team other than Princeton in the field. I'm not high on Minnesota at all. They returned basically nobody. They lost their head coach as well. Western Kentucky looked horrible on Tuesday night against – I'm drawing a blank on who they played, but they looked horrible. They won 67-63, I believe. They were down a lot of that game against a really bad school from, I think, an HBCU conference. So I'm going with Princeton to win the Asheville championship this weekend. Wow. But – Josh, any final thoughts before we end this show on the first week of college basketball? It's so good to have it back. I'm going to end with a good note and a really sour note. I'll put the sour one first. My two least favorite teams in all of college basketball play on Friday, Abilene Christian and Texas A&M. I hope that the score is zero to zero when they go home, but that won't happen. And uh, the good note is I'm very excited for this Horns game. I do think that they will at least show good signs in this game and not get absolutely blown out of the water, even if they lose by double digits. So it'll be, it'll be very exciting to at least see them play a formidable challenge in Gonzaga. And you know, this home and home with Gonzaga, when we get them at home next year, that's going to be an incredible game. Yeah, I completely agree. My eyes are going to be there. My eyes are also going to be on San Diego state. I think we're going to get some surprise results this weekend that we're not expecting. That's what makes sport really good. I'm excited for the slate. It's not a great slate, but we'll take it this early in the season. And we're getting really close to a really fun time in the non-conference portion. That's Thanksgiving week with all these tournaments that will happen. That's when the sport really gets going. So with that, thank you so much for joining us here today on the Why Not Us College Basketball Edition. I want to thank Josh for his great insight and agreeing with me on a couple takes, which is very rare, especially nowadays as we're getting older. For myself, Adam, <laughs> for myself, Adam Glick, 
Thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you next week for more Hoops action. Enjoy the slate of games this weekend.